Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Happy whatever day of the week it is for you listening to this. Who knows? <laughs> we for, know. For us today, it's a Friday. It is a Friday, a Friday night. night at 10.30 when I'm usually in bed. Yeah, it's actually 10.09 p.m. because I'm looking at a clock. Oh, wow. Yeah. Stop trying to take Sorry. more time from us. <laughs> I'm ready to go. <laughs> Amanda and I did big things. We went to fucking dinner. We fucking had wine. We had charcuterie. We did something adults might do. We fucking did. And socialized-ish with an antisocial server. Contrary to the usual geriatric stuff we do. Like go to bed before the sun goes down. Um, But yeah, the server, not social. The server reminded me of Dwight Dwight Schrute. Schrute. He was Dwight. It was... They didn't move their arms when they walk... He they didn't, didn't try to engage in banter at all. It was like business done, done. And Marielle mentioned when we got the check, not even they're not even going to upsell us on dessert. No, he's like one check or two. I was like, damn, we're not even going to try to sell quick. us more shit. We barely ordered anything. That's you could offer us like fifty different things off this little less menu. I know. I wonder. <sighs> if, oh God. It's just people, I mean, no one gets paid enough to care anymore. But, I mean, if you're working off tipped wage, although yeah. in Missouri you get minimum plus your tips, which is still not oh, shit. Oh, that's but. not shit. So oh, we're going to tell you some stories that we've already told each other, but honestly, I've basically forgotten all the details. It's been two weeks. and I'm already It's like, only been two weeks. It feels like it's been a month. <laughs> And that was the episode of Nausea. My best friend was in town. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately. Unfortunately, microphone. technology is hard. <laughs> exactly. So at least we now, this time, don't have the issue we had last time we recorded of we both literally had the same fucking case. Oh, yeah. We Lit- were going to do the same person. We were at brunch. That's and- right. We just had a hunch that we were going to do the same story. I was like, wait, did you... Have you because heard about this case recently? Did you get a recent update about this case? But I also think we listened to the same podcast that referenced it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. My memory is and so like, bad. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, oh, I'm doing this. Fuck what I've already researched. I'm doing this. And I was like, I bet Amanda thinks the exact same thing. Yeah. So this is going to be... Yeah. And Amanda's going to tell it to you. Because I'm older and Amanda's I... <laughs> always gotten her way. <laughs> I always sat in front. Yep. Regardless of who said shotgun. I fucking forced myself in there. Oh. So... I just read my story and realized something I thought was a really cool detail just is not what I thought it was. Oh, we're going to be both really surprised about what we're going to hear from <laughs> ourselves. So, 
without further ado, I will now tell you about Lisa Marie Montgomery. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. So, my sources include Murderpedia, truecrime.blogspot.com, and then federal documents, which I don't know how to cite those, so I have a link. So, Lisa Marie Montgomery is from Melbourne, Kansas, and she was 40 years old. I forgot this is local. This is pseudo. Yeah, kind of loco. loco. (laughs) That too. (laughs) She was arrested for the murder. We had some wine. (laughs) I don't even think it's that. I think it's just. (laughs) It's 10 p.m. It's just that I don't read a lot. (laughs) (laughs) She was arrested for the murder of Bobby Joe Stinnett and the kidnapping of Bobby Joe's unborn child. Oh, my God. Wrap your head around no, that. No, honestly, I think I remember mom talking about some crazy shit like this, too. Probably. Mom says a lot. And this was 2098, 99, 2003. It was <laughs> what? <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be right somehow. This is the future. It's like 70 years from now. Yeah. So 2004. Yeah. So, so yeah, 15 years I was like ago. 11. I remember this. Oh my god. You I was not 11. I was not even born yet. 15 years ago. I was 14, so you were 12. You were 11. Thank you. Because your birthday hasn't occurred yet. So <laughs> give me that one. Thank you. <sighs> okay. So the murder and kidnapping took place in Skidmore, Missouri on December 16, 2004. Sorry, but Skidmore. Skidmore. Done. Uh, Story's over. Named the end. that town that for a reason. Skidmore? No offense if you're from there. <sighs> but, yeah. you know, maybe file a petition. You can do those in Missouri. Shit's Creek. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> don't bring that up. <laughs> if you don't expect to have a 30-minute conversation, <laughs> at least. Well, I haven't watched the latest season, so... Sh- <sighs> okay. So I wasn't able to find too much about Lisa's murder... Or Lisa's life before the murder. But I did find a blog, and in some of the federal court documents, they summarized that Lisa was physically and sexually abused by her stepdad for a number of years. I think the majority of the time she lived with him, or all the time they lived together with her mom. And when she was 16, her mom and stepfather divorced, and some family members believed that Lisa's murder mother... (laughs) Some family members believed Lisa's mother blamed Lisa for the divorce. And for years, Lisa and her mother had a tumultuous relationship. What if I... I said murder in Lisa, like, in regarding to her murder, but she didn't murder in herself? No. What if I'm, like, predicting something? Oh, no. I, you heard it here first. So, when Lisa was 18, she married her stepbrother, Carl... Married her stepbrother. It's Missouri. But it's your stepbrother. Who cares? Cruel Intentions. What was that movie called? I yeah. never saw it, but I know there's a movie. There's some, there's there's some reference there. So in... <laughs> so in August 1986, Lisa married her stepbrother, Carl, which may or may not be controversial. We're on the line. <laughs> may or may not be. <laughs> so Lisa had their first child in 1987 and then had three more after that. With him? Yeah, with Carl. 
So then she had her tubes tied in 1990, which was successful, and she could no longer get pregnant. Their uncle father. (laughs) But it's not by... Like, you can't. It's... I don't know. How do do family trees work? They're too close in it I need to know. I could could do a genogram if I hadn't done a... I have not done a genogram in a while. Do you know what a genogram is? So if, if I were going to do a genogram on you, you're the central person, right? And then there's different symbols about how you're related to people. Oh. Mm-hmm. So like women are circles, men are squares, and dotted lines mean that there is not like immediate connection. Oh. Anyway. So Lisa had four kids with her stepbrother, Carl. Then she had her tubes tied. She couldn't get pregnant. She named her, claimed that her mom and Carl forced her to get her tubes tied. But in 1990, though, I think men still had to sign that their wives could get, or like whoever had to, like we know someone who is very close to us. Their husband at the time had to sign that they can get their tubes tied. And that was in 1983. So, in 1990, probably. Jesus. So. I just want to remind everyone, that's our organs that are inside us in a man that's not related to us in any way Mm -hmm. that we just decided is going to be in our life has to sign whether or not we can do something with those organs in our fucking body. Mm -hmm. Makes the decision of whether or not we could have children or not. And could also make the decision or not if... We keep the fetus that's inside us that they started. Yeah. They implanted. Like, I don't just grow. Oh, my God. If we could just grow around children. One day. One day. All right. In the years after Lisa had her tubes tied, which she may or may not have been forced to, Lisa claimed she was pregnant four other occasions after the tubal ligation. So, in 1994, Carl and Lisa separated she had an affair and claimed she was pregnant. Lisa and Carl got back together. And then Lisa, when they got back together, Lisa stopped claiming she was pregnant. So in 1998, Lisa and Carl finally divorced. So in 2000, Lisa claimed she was pregnant again before marrying a man named Kevin Montgomery. Lisa reported intending to have an abortion And then Kevin gave her 40 bucks and the pregnancy was never mentioned again. Was it like, I'll give you 40 bucks if you stop saying you're pregnant because I know you're not pregnant. Or I'll give you 40 bucks and you go take care of it. Right. In 2002, Lisa told friends and family she was pregnant again. Lisa claimed she was getting prenatal care but wouldn't allow Kevin to go to the appointments. Her doctor denied providing prenatal care. When the alleged due date passed, Montgomery told Kevin the baby died and she donated the body to science. As one does. (laughs) Throughout the fall of 2004, Lisa and Carl were going through a custody dispute. Carl knew Lisa could not get pregnant and has a history of lying about pregnancies. Carl and his new wife planned to expose Lisa and use it against her during the custody proceedings. But Lisa planned to prove them wrong. And then on December 10th, 2004, Carl filed a motion for change of custody for the two minor children that lived with Lisa. So they had four total 
In April 2004, Lisa and Bobby Joe Stinnett met at a dog show. Lisa and Bobby Joe both bred rat terriers. So they met through an online message board dedicated to rat terriers called Ratter Chatter. Chatter. Now I remember why we both... Okay, it all clicks now. So Bobby Joe had a website called Happy Haven Farm, which I tried to look for. I tried to see if the website, like I could find the website because yeah. it's like eerie, like it's like going to someone's Facebook after the, you know they died, right? Or Instagram. So that website included pictures of Bobby Joe and her rat terriers. So when Bobby Joe got pregnant in two thousand four, she shared the news with the online community because, like in two thousand four, like. Social media and being online and interaction, but that was starting to come up, all that online interaction, right? Right. It was still mostly, like, college kids. Yeah. So, in 2004, Lisa began telling friends and family, this is Lisa Montgomery, began telling friends and family and her online community that she was pregnant. Lisa began wearing maternity clothes and behaving like she was actually pregnant. Mm. So, probably putting pillows on her shirt, that type of shit. Some people she knew believed her. Some were onto her bullshit. Those who knew her knew she had her tubes tied. Which, it says here that they cauterized her tubes, which you can't go back from that. Um, So, among the people that knew she had her tubes tied were Carl, of course. So, he knew she was full of shit. Carl and his new wife accused her of deceiving the family. And Lisa's response was that she planned to prove them wrong. So at this point, she and Carl are in this custody battle. She feels she has to prove them wrong because otherwise she can't keep the kids, maybe. Or she's delusional. (laughs) So on December 15th, 2004, Lisa contacted Bobby Joe through instant message under an alias name, Darlene Fisher. And she was asking Bobby Joe about a litter of puppies that Bobby Joe had for sale. So they agreed to meet the next day. And Lisa told Bobby Joe that she was from Fairfax, which is kind of close to Skidmore, I guess. Just probably so Bobby Joe wouldn't be suspicious that this was Lisa Montgomery. But Mm -hmm. Diane Fisher, I'm from... Yeah. That same night, after setting up the meeting with Darlene, which was actually Lisa Montgomery, Bobby Joe told her husband and her mom that a woman from Fairfax was going to stop by and look at the puppies. Which, I can't imagine breeding puppies and then selling them. Like, how could you just not keep them? Ugh, I would seriously need a thorough background check on everyone. I'm going to need a TSA, a whatever it is that you don't have to take your shoes off Pre-check. type of shit. So Lisa, on December 16th, 2004, Lisa drove from Melbourne to Skidmore and arrived at Bobby Joe's house around 1230. So the times are really important as with all the cases, but they know the times because they agreed on a, like a time and a place to meet. Yeah. So, With her, Lisa carried a sharp kitchen knife and a cord in her pocket. And then Lisa and Bobby Joe brought out the puppies to play. And then at 2.30, Bobby Joe's mom, Becky, called Bobby Joe to 
confirm that Bobby Joe is going to pick her up from work and bring her back to the house because her mom lived with them. Mm. So the plan was for her to pick up her mom at 3.30. So a while after Lisa got off, Bobby Joe got off the phone with her mom is when Lisa attacked Bobby Joe. So Bobby Joe was eight months pregnant at the time. And Lisa strangled her with the cord she brought. Oh, my God. Yeah. And then she strangled her until Bobby Joe was unconscious. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. This is a major, like, if you're squeamish at all, do not listen. Imagine Fast forward. While we were fucking recording. Dude, do you remember when I passed out at the Chuck Palahniuk book reading? Yes. Did you get, like, really hot and feel tingly after? I felt like like, shit. (laughs) Yeah, it's like all of a sudden you feel horrible, like, stomach. Mine is like I get really hot. I was clammy. I was like... Like, every... It's like when your foot falls asleep, only your whole body. Yeah. (gasps) There was other people that passed out, too. I wasn't the only one. I bet my brain just instead made me think about something way different. And yeah. I was probably like, mm-hmm. He did that weird. intentionally to make people pass. He knew. He knew what he was doing. And then there was the other time I passed out on my couch. It was you, me, Sophia, and Victoria. What were you watching? No, Sophia was telling a story and I passed out. Oh, I don't know. And remember. I had the pipe in my hand. Fuck, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Victoria was not yet graduated from medical school. Oh, damn, I don't remember what story she was telling. Yep. Okay, so anyway, this part is brutal. So after Lisa strangled Bobby Joe to the point of unconsciousness, Lisa used the kitchen knife she brought to cut into Bobby Joe's abdomen. When she started cutting into her, Bobby Joe's abdomen, Bobby Joe regained consciousness, which mm-hmm. led to a struggle. So then Lisa strangled Bobby Joe again, which ultimately killed her. Lisa then cut the baby from Bobby Joe's abdomen, cut the umbilical cord, and left. So I don't know how long that takes. It made my tummy turn a little. Yeah. You could just imagine what that feels like. Oh. (laughs) I I mean, I've watched a C-section video. Don't do it. Just imagine. I can't. It's like some... Oh, anyway, we're so past that. <laughs> so Bob, so Lisa drove that. away. <laughs> Lisa drove away with the baby in her arms. So Bobby Joe's mom. Did she clean the baby off? Did she? What the fuck? Not yet. She does eventually, but wait. Did she keep it warm? Like what the? F- I feel like this is such a fragile, low, ancient people. We are here today. Because people with zero things, they were in giving birth to babies in concrete. Right. On stools. Oh, right. Which makes more sense ergonomically, but... Right. Another podcast. Another podcast. Podcast, <laughs> I said. <laughs> so the poor baby, God, must have just been so... Who knows? Bobby Joe's mom, Becky, called her at 3.30, wondering where Bobby Joe was. So Becky ended up walking back to Bobby Joe's house and walked inside. Becky called for her daughter, and when she reached the dining room, she found Bobby Joe covered in blood. 
Becky called 911 and described what that it looked like her daughter's stomach had exploded. Ah. So, meanwhile, Lisa stopped with the baby nearby to clamp the umbilical cord and clean the baby up. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. She what didn't do- just tie that off, like, first thing. She had to get the fuck out of there. She had just murdered a woman and cut her fetus out. Jesus. Christ. So, the baby was uninjured. <laughs> I'm just like, this is all a miracle. Yeah. The baby was not injured. And then after cleaning the baby, Lisa got a car seat from the trunk. So she had a trunk car seat in her trunk. She was ready. Mm-hmm. She drove to Topeka and then called Kevin. And she told Kevin that she had gone into labor while she was Christmas shopping. And she gave birth at a women's clinic in Topeka. Yeah. So... <sighs> Kevin, bless his heart, he met Lisa in the parking lot of the women's clinic, and they returned home together to Melbourne with the baby. Oh, my God. No one at the women's clinic just, like, peeked out the window, like, uh, what's going on here? I don't know. So, Kevin, and I have parentheses, poor guy. <laughs> Lisa and Kevin called everybody they knew to, like, announce the birth, and... The next day when they were running errands, they introduced the baby to everyone and they named the baby Abigail. When they got home, law enforcement knocked on the door. Kevin invited them in and Lisa was inside holding the baby on the couch. Nursing it. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what what did she do? How is the baby eating? I mean, probably formula. Right, but no one questioned. Nobody. Nobody. So, Sergeant Investigator Randy Strong explained that they were investigating the death of Bobby Joe. And then Sergeant Strong asked about the baby. And Lisa told them, yeah, I gave birth at the women's clinic in Topeka the day before. And <laughs> Lisa asked Kevin to get the discharge papers from his truck, but he couldn't find them. Because uh-huh. there weren't, weren't any. any. So, Sergeant... Strong asked to speak to Lisa outside, and then she handed the baby to another officer and tried to explain her way out of it that she was having financial problems. So she gave birth at home with the help of two friends. And then she shared that Kevin had no idea that she gave birth at home. And when the investigator asked the name of the friends, Lisa said they helped her over the phone in case she had trouble. So her story Mm -hmm. keeps changing. Lisa claimed she gave birth in the kitchen and threw the placenta in the creek. And she also requested to move the question to the sheriff's office. And then she confessed to the killing, um, removing the fetus and adopting the uh, baby. So after confessing, the baby was returned to the father, the biological father. Mm-hmm. And she was named Victoria Joe Stinnett. Mm-hmm. Lisa was charged with kidnapping resulting in death. So, she wasn't charged with murder. And according to a document, the incident further alleged statutory aggravating factors, including that Montgomery killed Stinnett in an especially heinous, cruel, and depraved manner, and that it involved serious physical abuse to Stinnett. Thereafter, the government filed its notice to seek the death penalty. So, it wasn't murder and kidnapping. It was like you had to murder someone to kidnap this baby. So, it's Mm -hmm. like with kidnapping resulting in death, the intent was to kidnap. Yeah. 
which resulted um, in the death. So it's about intention. That's how I interpret okay, it. Yeah. It's about what was your intent? It wasn't to kill somebody. It was to abduct this fetus. Yeah. So Lisa moves to prohibit the government from seeking the death penalty, contending that the government could not prove the kidnapping of a person, that a person being, so she cut a child from the room, womb, but it's like, was it a person or was it a fetus? So anyway, it resulted in the death and the motion was denied. She filed a notice of intent to assert the defense of insanity and to present expert evidence relating to mental disease or defect. So her defense counsel had her evaluated by a couple of psychiatrists and both diagnosed her with depression, borderline personality disorder, PTSD, and pseudocysis, which is the false belief that you are pregnant. And sometimes it's associated with people actually having physical signs of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So the government's expert agreed with the defense that Lisa suffered from depression, borderline personality, PTSD, but the government's expert did not agree with the pseudocysis argument. So agreed with everybody else, everything else, but didn't agree with the pseudocysis. Mm -hmm. So before the trial, the defense asked for an expert to assess whether Lisa suffered from mental abnormality, injury, or illness. The expert was prepared to testify that Lisa's brain had structural and functional abnormalities consistent with pseudocysis, which I don't know how that works. MRI and a PET scan were done, but the government asserted that the doctor could not produce data from which conclusions were drawn. It's like they didn't have any other evidence. Mm -hmm. Okay. Later on, later on, government expert assured that Lisa did not suffer from pseudocysis because she did not sincerely believe she was pregnant based on that Lisa knew she had her tubes tied. And Lisa tried to say it was reversed. With her previous pregnancies, she sought prenatal care and her husband attended all the appointments and she gave birth in the hospital. But with this alleged pregnancy, she did not seek medical attention. (laughs) (laughs) But with this pregnancy, she did not seek medical attention. She didn't even seek any medical confirmation that she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. Kevin made the appointment to do that when she told him she was pregnant, but... Lisa canceled it. She testified. She showed Kevin a positive pregnancy test, but he denied ever seeing anything. When Lisa filled out insurance documents in September 2004, she did not indicate a pregnancy. And if you were going to give birth in December 2004, you would put that you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Finally, the government expert doctor took into account Lisa's previous false claims of pregnancy So there was a lot of back and forth whether or not she was delusional. So the government experts concluded, no, she's not delusional as there's consistencies with delusions. Like with a delusion, it always leads to like the same thing. Like the government's after me. The government, they're after me for this. So when someone's delusional, they say a bunch of different things, but it all relates back to the same delusion. She gave contradicting information about the sex of the fetus, that she was having twins and the manner she delivered it. Before she confessed to murdering Bobby Joe, she gave multiple narratives for the birth. You know, remember when she said she gave birth at the clinic, then she gave birth in the kitchen and two friends were there. But then the friends were on the phone. Uh Phoned a friend. Yeah. (laughs) I want to phone a friend for my birth. (laughs) So they concluded she was malingering in 2004 and she knew she was not pregnant, but told people otherwise. Wow. We knew it all along. Hmm. 
On October 22nd, 2007, the jury found Lisa Montgomery guilty beyond reasonable doubt of kidnapping resulting in death, and the case proceeded to the penalty phase. Over the course of two days, the jury heard testimony from Lisa's friends, family, co-workers, and the defense who evaluated her. Lisa requested the jury to be instructed that it is never required to return a death sentence. Of course. Like, you know, you don't have to do this. You didn't have to kill someone. Right. She proposed language was rejected by the district court, and the jury was instructed that if it unanimously unanimously agreed on a death sentence, then it must record it as such. The jury returned with a death penalty verdict. It unanimously found the government proved beyond reasonable doubt that Lisa committed the offense in an especially heinous or depraved manner and therefore sentenced Lisa Montgomery to death. Lisa tried to say that the baby was not considered a person until it was removed from Bobby. Because Bobby Joe died before the baby attained legal personhood by being born, the kidnapping of a person could not be the cause of death. She argues the crime was not kidnapping resulting in death, but death resulting from kidnapping. Uh, okay. So you, you agree you murdered someone regardless. Lisa Montgomery is being held at the Federal Medical Center in Carswell, Fort Worth, Texas. She could become the third woman to be put to death by the federal government since the 1927 and the second since Ellen Rosenberg was put to, was sentenced to death for espionage. Bobby Joe was only 23 years old and eight months pregnant. Wow. Fuck. Yeah. She's a lot a of pieces. Baby. Yeah. Ugh. Now it's my turn to do that. Alrighty. Are you ready to hear about Suzanne Basso? Ooh. This fucking lady who was born May 15th, 1954 to a family from Schenectady, New York. <laughs> Unique New, New York. Schenectady. <laughs> She was one of eight siblings. Her mom's name was Florence. Her mom was actually the older sister of a spree killer, Robert Garrow, which earlier in my head I thought was the Gallego guy. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, that's a whole family of people on death row because he had a dad and a son who all ended up on death row. Yeah, but not at all. This is Garrow. So Garrow, she was his sister. (laughs) Yeah. Which reminds me of my cousin Vinny. No, Jerry Callow. Mm. Not Jerry Gallo. I said Jerry Callow. Yeah, Jerry Gallo's dead. Anyway, of the three girls in the family, Suzanne's the youngest. Suzanne was married to a Marine named James Peake in the early 1970s. Her name became Sue Peake as a result of her marriage, and from then on she goes by Sue. So they had a daughter in 1973 and a son in 1974. And in 1982, her husband James was arrested for molesting their daughter and convicted of taking indecent liberties with a child. Jesus Christ. Yeah. This is her husband? Yes. With his own daughter. Fuck. God only fucking knows. In the early 1990s, Sue, James, and the children moved into... A residence in Houston. They changed their last name to O'Malley and adopted an Irish American identity. 
Like, she's like, yeah, honey, let's just distance ourselves from your fucking pedophilia and change our names. Even though you're going to be the same piece of shit and I ought to bury you under the fucking house's foundation. And Anyways. They chose the name O'Malley? Yeah. <laughs> just the most stereotypical fucking... Anyway. So while in Houston, she was working as a security guard in an apartment complex... In 1993, Sue became romantically involved with a guy from New Jersey named Carmine Basso. He owned a company called Latin Security and Investigation Corps, which brings a lot of interesting imagery if you just take it really literally. (laughs) Latin Security. I'm just like, (laughs) imagine all the Latino people. Imagine her uniform. I know. (laughs) She didn't divorce James legally, so she couldn't marry Mr. Security Man, Carmine Basso. But at some point, he did move into their apartment and was living with her and her husband. Oh, my God. Um, That's... Oh. Yeah. And it was a little while before her husband moved out. So, despite being unable to marry him, she still took his last name and bada-boom, bada-bing, she's Suzanne Basso. On October 22nd, 1995, Suzanne placed a bizarre quarter-page engagement announcement in the Houston Chronicle, a local newspaper. So, for the bride, Suzanne Margaret and Cassandra Lynn Teresa Marie Mary Veronica Sue Burns Standlin Slousk was engaged to Carmine Joseph John Basso. That was one name that I said before. So she made up <laughs> She her gave own herself name? like 15 first names. The announcement claimed the bride was an heiress to a Nova Scotia oil fortune, educated at St. Anne's Institute in Yorkshire, England, and had been an accomplished gymnast at one time, even a nun. Oh. Uh-huh. Carmine, her husband, was reported to have received a Congressional Medal of Honor for his duty in the Vietnam War. But the ad was retracted three days later by the newspaper due to possible inaccuracies. <laughs> the total fee, which went unpaid, was $1,372. Like, yeah, that's a lot of words. That's an expensive that ad. That's why it was half a page. <laughs> <All the> fucking <laughs> names. So Sue sent her mother-in-law a letter claiming she'd given birth to twin girls. And she included a picture which later... Her mother-in-law said was obviously a picture of a child looking into a mirror. Right? Oh, God. Uh Uh-huh. That's weird. Yes. So she also was lying? Yes. (laughs) Yeah. On May 27th, 1997, Sue called the Houston police claiming she was in New Jersey, asked that they check on her husband in Texas because she hadn't heard from him in a week. The police went to his office and they found his body. They found... Several trash cans filled with feces and urine. Feces and urine unrelated to his death. Men are just really fucking gross, and there wasn't a bathroom there. So he was pissing and shitting in buckets. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm appalled. In 1997. There was indoor plumbing. Uh-huh. Right. He probably just had to walk down a flight of stairs. <laughs> so, according to the autopsy, Carmine, at the age of 47, was malnourished and died from erosion of the esophagus due to regurgitation of stomach acid. The medical examiner reported that there was a strong smell of ammonia on the body, and it was listed that he died of natural causes. 
What? Yeah. Uh, he was throwing up so much because of the shitting and pissing and Right? Buckets. Dude, what the fuck? So, later on, that same fucking year, literally like two months later, Sue meets 59-year-old Louis Buddy Musso. At a church carnival in New Jersey, July 1997. Buddy was mentally disabled, but he lived independently. He held a job at the grocery store and managed his own finances. His niece described him as having the mind of a child. She said probably somewhere between 7 and 10 years old. Mm. Yeah. In June 1998, Buddy left New Jersey to live with Sue in Jacinto City, Kansas. Jesus Christ, I'm looking at it and it says Texas and I'm saying everything else. Ah. (laughs) Jacinto City, Texas. Shortly after, Buddy moved in with her. Al Becker, Buddy's social security representative, payee, and friend of 20 years, was having trouble contacting Buddy. And he'd had numerous conversations with Sue, but she refused to let him talk to Buddy. And concerned with his well-being, this guy, Al, sought assistance from various Texas state agencies, but he couldn't get any information about Buddy's situation. In July 1998, Sue unsuccessfully attempted to designate herself as the representative payee of Buddy's Social Security benefits. Mm-hmm. So she tried it. Yeah. She was named a beneficiary on an application for life insurance on Buddy, describing herself as his wife-to-be. She had insurance policies in Buddy's name, including one that provided for a payment of $65,000 in the event Buddy died as a result of a violent crime. Oddly specific. Right. Police also discovered a document titled Buddy's, quote, Last Will and Testament, which established to leave Buddy's entire state to sue while, quote, no one else was to get a cent. Fast forward. Sue... Five men, including her son, kidnapped Buddy. Oh, God. Tortured, murdered him, just so they can collect that little bit of life insurance. Sue was identified as the ringleader of the group and instigated the others to torture Buddy. According to an article by Charles Montando, on August 26, 1998, a jogger discovered his body in Galena Park, Texas, Based on the observations of the police when they arrived at the scene, they determined that the victim had been killed elsewhere and then dumped on the embankment. He showed severe injuries, yet his clothing was clean, and there was no identification found on the body. Mm. In an effort to identify the victim, investigators reviewed missing persons files and learned that a woman by the name of Suzanne Basso had recently filed a report. When a detective went to her apartment to see if the victim found in the park was Buddy, he was met at the door by her son, 23-year-old James O'Malley. Sue wasn't home, but returned not long after the detective arrived. While the detective talked to Sue, he noticed there was a bloody sheets and clothing on a makeshift bed on the floor of the living room. He asked her about it, and she explained that the mattress belonged to the man she'd reported missing, but didn't disclose anything about the blood. So her and her son, James, then accompanied the investigator to the morgue to view the body of the victim, and they identified him as Louis Buddy Mousseau. The detective noticed that while Sue appeared to be hysterical on viewing the body, her son, James, showed no emotion when he saw the horrific condition of the body of their murdered friend. So having identified the body, 
Sue and her son accompanied the detective to the police station. They completed a report. Within minutes after the detective began talking to her son, he confessed that his mother and four others, including his sister and brother-in-law and all these fucking other pieces of shit, participated in beating Buddy to death. Mm. So he told investigators that his mother was the one that planned the murder and spearheaded the others to kill Buddy by administering brutal beatings over a period of five days. He said he was terrified of his mother, so he did as she instructed. Hmm. He also admitted to dunking Buddy four or five times in a bathtub filled with household cleaning products and bleach. They poured alcohol over his head, scrubbed him bloody with a wire brush, and it's unclear if he was dead in the process of this or alive. You hope so. Yeah, I know. Honestly, God. James also provided information about where the group had ditched evidence of the murder. Investigators found items that were used to clean up the murder scene that included bloodstained clothes worn by Buddy at the time of his death, plastic gloves bloodstained towels, and used razors. According to court records, Buddy had been widowed in 1980 and had a son. Through the years, he became mentally disabled and had the intelligence of a seven-year-old child, had learned to live independently in Cliffside Park, New Jersey, and had a part-time job at ShopRite. He also attended a church where he had a strong network of friends who cared about his welfare. Mm. Police discovered that Two months after the death of her live-in boyfriend, Sue, who was living in Texas, met Buddy at a church fair while she was on a trip to Jersey. They began this long-distance relationship, and then finally she convinced him to move to Texas, saying that they'd get married, blah, 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 blah. In mid-June 1998, wearing a new cowboy hat he'd purchased for the occasion, he packed up his few belongings, said goodbye to his friends, left New Jersey to be with his, quote, lady love, and was brutally murdered ten weeks and two days later. Mm. <sighs> On September 9th, investigators searched Basso's Justino City small, cluttered home. Within the mess, they found a life insurance policy, all that bullshit. The base payout was only 15000 mm. and then that clause increased to the 65000 resulting in the violent crime. So it, oh, they actually it got in. more wow. for it, which... Convenient. The detectives also found that will and testament that was obviously forged. Did they realize it was forged? Uh, I mean, they found a hard copy of it, which was written in 1997. And then that more recent one, which was dated August 13th, 1998, just 12 days before he was murdered. So it Mm -hmm. had just been edited. Excuse me. Bank statements showed Sue had been cashing his Social Security checks about how she unsuccessfully tried to take over as his financial manager and his Social Security income, etc. So each of the six perpetrators confessed to different degrees of involvement in Musso's murder and the attempted cover-up after. They also admitted to ignoring his cries for help. Mm. In a written statement, Sue stated that she knew that her son and several friends beat and abused Buddy for at least a full day before his death and that she also had beaten him. She confessed to driving a car belonging to Bernice, which I think was her daughter's name, with his body in the trunk, and that's where they dumped his body in a dumpster with the other evidence. So her daughter and her son-in-law... 
admitted to hitting him, but they said that Sue was pushing them to do it. And her daughter told police that Sue said we had to make a pact that we can't say anything about what happened. And if we get mad at each other, we can't say anything. Well, that fucking lasted. Wow. <laughs> okay. Basically, everybody confessed. After scarfing down a TV dinner, Sue told police that she hit Buddy twice with a wooden bird after he broke her Mickey Mouse ornament and because he wanted her and her mother to die. When he asked her to stop hitting him, she stopped. She also pointed most of the blame to her sons, whose corroborating statements by Bernice and her boyfriend had administered the final blows that caused his death. And when the police attempted to read her statement back to her, she brushed it off and asked for another TV dinner. Wow. Mm-hmm. On August 22nd, just days before the murder, police officers responded to a call of an assault going on in that same city. When they arrived on the scene, they found Buddy being led around by James and Terrence in what the officer described as a military-style run. The officer noted that Both of Buddy's eyes were blackened, and when questioned, Buddy said three Mexicans had beat him up. He also said he didn't want to run anymore. Mm. The officer drove the three men to Terrence Singleton's apartment, where he met Sue, who said she was Buddy's legal guardian. She reprimanded the two young men and comforted Buddy, so now the officer assumes he's safe. He just leaves. Like, idiot. Good job, officer. Fuck. Nice ossifer. Later, a note found in a pair of Buddy's pants was addressed to a friend in New Jersey, and it said, You must get down here and get me out of here. I want to come back to New Jersey soon. But he'd never had a chance to mail the letter. Hmm. <sighs> so they detailed the abuse he'd endured in the courtroom, such as she immediately began treating him as a slave when he arrived to Texas, Gave him chores, beating him if he wasn't completing them. August 21st to the 25th, he was denied food, water, or a toilet. Forced to sit on his knees on a mat on the floor with his hands on the back of his neck for long periods of time. Mm. If he urinated on himself, he was beaten. He was subjected to violent beatings administered by her daughter's boyfriend and this Terrence Singleton guy. He was abused by her daughters, including being hit with belts, baseball bats, punched with closed fists, kicked, hit with objects around the apartment, etc. Wow. All resulting on his death, August 25th. In a seven-page autopsy report, numerous injuries on Buddy's body were cataloged, including 17 cuts to his head, 28 cuts to the rest of his body, Cigarette burns, 14 broken ribs, two dislocated vertebrae, broken nose, fractured skull, broken bone in his neck, and evidence of blunt force trauma extended from the bottom of his feet to his upper torso, including his genitals, eyes, and ears. Mm. Body soaked in bleach and pine cleaner and scrubbed with a wire brush. (sighs) So six of them were charged with capital murder. But they only sought the death penalty for Suzanne. Probably because she led the whole yeah. thing. She was the ringleader. Yeah. So by the time Sue went to a trial 11 months after her arrest, she dropped from 300 pounds to 140 pounds. Wow. Showed up in a wheelchair. And 
said it was a result of being partially paralyzed after receiving a beating from her jailers. Her lawyer said that it was due to a chronic degenerative condition. She mimicked the voice of a little girl, saying she'd regressed to her childhood, also claimed she was blind, lied about her life story, including tales she was a triplet and was having an affair with Nelson Rockefeller. And later she was like, actually, I made that up. (laughs) She wishes. (laughs) Uh, Except that part about Rockefeller, that was real. She was granted a competency hearing. The court appointed a psychiatrist. They interviewed her, testified she's a fake. They ruled she's competent to stand trial. And each day she appeared in court, she looked disheveled, often was seen grumbling to herself, Hmm. squealing, wailing as if she heard something she didn't like, which reminds me of that character on Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. Doing all the weird, like... I can't remember her name. Weird shit. Sudden movements. I don't remember any of either. The jury found Sue guilty of capital murder for murdering Buddy during a kidnapping or attempting to kidnap him and for remunerating. Re- this is the hardest <laughs> Rooming. word. Remunerate. This isn't a word. Re- remuneration. I feel like it should be numeration. Whatever the fuck. Anyways. I've never heard that word before. In my Me life. neither. Jury found Sue guilty of capital murder. Period. (laughs) During the sentencing phase, one of Sue's daughters, who was unrelated to the crime, came and testified that Sue subjected her to sexual, mental, and physical and emotional abuse. Oh, fuck. So her and her husband, James, were all disgusting pieces of shit. On February 5th, 2014, Suzanne Basso was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville unit of the Texas Department of Criminal Justice. She declined to make a final statement. Well, fuck you, you bitch. Fuckins. No, I'm not going to end with that. Well, <laughs> fuck you, Sue, you fucking evil asshole. That's awful. Yeah, those are horrible stories. Just the vulnerable people involved. Yeah. Ugh. I'm trying to remember if I had anything good to say. That was like not to end on a bad note. We don't have to set our alarms tomorrow because it's Friday. Oh, I was like for some reason thinking you were about to say something about like daylight savings time. And I was like, that's not good news already. What the fuck? Nope. Tomorrow's Saturday and I'm sleeping in. <sighs> and hopefully I see Jim Bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's something I've watched lately? I watched Rhythm and Flow. Oh, it's good. I like it. It's entertaining. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to say it's the American Idol of rap, but it's similar. There's three it's judges. A, it's, it's a, a competition show. Competition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit's Creek's new season came out on Netflix. Boom. There we go. I need to watch it. It's so good. Oh, my God. I've been oh cracking up. Oh, my gosh. Up. I finished um, Leah Remini's The Aftermath of Scientology. I started it. Dude, now I get why you kept asking me, have you watched it? That's a whole the other Sea podcast. Org? What is it? What do they do? Why did he buy a ship in 1960? A fucking warship. A why? civilian. And I have what? a lot to say about Hubbard. 
Why he sounds like mm. Sean Connery. Yeah. Probably all the shuffleists from he his fake injuries. He was insecure and not confident because he fidgeted a lot. Yeah, and he had fake medals and shit. Uh-huh. And, <sighs> there's so much to unpack. We drove by the new Scientology building in Kansas City, and all the windows are covered with black trash bags. And same with the current building in Kansas City on yeah. 39th Street. Yeah, one of my clients went in there. <gasps> he said they wouldn't pay attention to him. Well, they are very classist. I mean, mm-hmm. if you don't have money to buy these books, yeah. sorry. If you don't have money, we can scam out of you. Yep. We don't want you. Yeah, and they'd make him stop taking his meds because they don't believe in psychiatry. Right. It's a whole other podcast. I'm sure there's podcasts out there for We just it. end every episode with, where the fuck is Shelly, Miss Cabbage? <gasps> where the fuck is Shelly? I haven't even gotten to that part, but it's enough to be like, okay. They'll get there. Yeah. They showed her picture and they zoomed in and circled her. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I love Queen Mike Rindon. What's that? Mike Rindon is the guy who's like <gasps> her- Yes! I don't know why before I realized who he was, I was just like, oh my god, this love him. And then I realized like who he was and what he did. And it's amazing looking at these people when they were in Scientology, looking at them now, they look younger now than they did mm-hmm. when they were in Scientology. Yeah. For a couple of people, it took one Google search to be like unbrainwashed. It's like true that like hate rots its mm-hmm. host. Yeah. Whatever. Sure. If you're hosting hate, it's going to rot you. Ending on a positive note. (laughs) (sighs) Well, it's the week before Halloween that we're recording this. You know what that means. Bitch. It could mean several things. Yeah. We'll be taking a trip. Oh, yes. We'll talk about that next time. We're already over an hour, so we can... (sighs) Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to these depressing ass stories. Rate and review if you feel like it. That'd be cool. Yeah. It's the best way to spread the word about this show. Yeah. Let us know what you think. We care about that to an extent. Give a goddamn fuck unless you're an asshole. And then I'm going to read your comments aloud. Maybe look you up on Facebook if I can. Mm hmm. But I probably won't have the time. Or I probably won't even know how to see where the reviews and comments are. Oh, no. No. I won't know how to do it. They'll be there, but... (laughs) But I'll ask my girl Rachel at Resonate Recording to be like, Hey, just send me the positive stuff. I'll be like, Trump, just give me the yes folder. (laughs) Every morning. I'll take the yes folder. Uh, Take it with my rainbow enema every morning. Mm. Thank you very much. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Take care. Be nice. Wear your seatbelts. Bye.